Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whenever and wherever you're listening to this. This is From Checker to Green. The podcast all about racing is told by two lifelong racing fans and from time to time talking about the business aspects of racing, the green it takes to take the green. Welcome everyone to episode number 37. I am Elliot Tardif alongside my colleague, David Maudi. David, good evening. Good evening, Elliot. How are you? Uh, things are going well in New York State. I know we had a um, some hiatus here um, over the month of April. It uh, Let me just say it's been pretty busy here between um, uh, my, my oldest doing dance competitions and then we had a incident where my wife ended up fracturing her shoulder so she's doing well um, she's on the mend so but things are going well here and I gotta say the nice weather's out um, I mean, it's going to be 70s here on Sunday. I'm actually getting the golf clubs out, and I am going to hit the driving range this weekend. And hopefully it's not a train wreck like at Talladega sometimes. That is true. Yeah, I know the uh, the weather up there has been quite bipolar in, uh, in recent days even. That's uh, an understatement. <laughs> Yeah, you guys had some snow, I think, a few days ago, and then today I think it was up over 70, so um, I would say welcome to North Carolina, but uh, uh, that would be a couple of months ago down here, but it sounds like it's your turn up there right now. Yeah, um, the petition to um, outlaw the groundhog has started. <laughs> I believe it, um, but uh, but yeah, down here in the Carolinas... Um, yeah, we've actually been dealing um, with some persistent frost down here. Um, we've had um, a stretch of days where, you know, just like it is up in New York, it, you know, it's very nice, gets up into the, the 70s and 80s and all the flowers and leaves are blooming and everything. Um, and, you know, all the farmers down here like that too. This is, you know, good farming, uh, uh, good weather for, you know, to get all the, the crops going. But uh, it seems like every week or so we get, you know, a big system rolls through and temperatures crash on the backside of it. And we have frost and freeze warnings everywhere. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's not so good. So, um, but it looks like we're finally getting into a pretty persistent warm pattern here too. So uh, it's starting to, to really feel like spring here in the Carolinas. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we, we mentioned, Elliot, you know, I mentioned we were on a little hiatus here, a lot of racing action going on, but we've decided, um, you and I, to have a little different format now. Yes, we have. Um, and part of that goes to uh, just kind of the realities of, um, of your life, David, and mine, that um, you know, we do our level best to, uh, to record on as regular a basis as we can, um, but the time it takes to um, process the episode, get it edited, get it uploaded, um, for the format that we were doing, um, uh, especially the green segment, um, it was, it was making, making it a little problematic in that the content um, at least for the, the green episode, especially, um, was 
kind of a little dated by the time uh, the uh, the episode was uploaded, and that's you know certainly true in episode number thirty six. Uh, it's you know a little behind, and that's that's on entirely on me. So um, so we're going to try some some different things here, and you know again calling to mind you know our our good friend uh, the late Ryan Kolpak. This was something that he wanted us to do was to try different things. Um, and so this is something we're going to try um, in, in this episode, at least, you know, we're going to try to uh, focus the green segment on some, some different topics that we're looking forward to that, you know, are coming down the, the pike for, um, for one or more parts of the motorsports community. So uh, it should be a fun, uh, a fun try and let's just see what happens. Yeah, let's roll into it. And Elliot, we mentioned, I mean, you know, we talked about some racing and let's kick it off with some open wheel racing. Yeah, definitely. Um, So there have been two Formula One races um, since we last caught up. Uh, The Saudi Arabian Grand Grand Prix at Jeddah and the Australian Grand Prix as well. And uh, David, there are some... um, some really interesting results out of uh, both events. Let's start with yeah. the, with the event at, at uh, uh, Jetta first. Yeah. Um, now, as we recall, when when uh, we recorded episode number thirty six, um, there were some questions about whether or not this race was even going to go off. There had been a, a missile strike on an oil depot nearby the racetrack. Um, uh, bearing in mind that Saudi Arabia is um, involved in uh, a, a war in Yemen, uh, which is a country nearby to them. Uh, and so uh, it appears that some effects of that made themselves known, you know, pretty much very close to the racetrack. So there was some even some furious debate about whether or not the race was even going to go off, but it did. And um, it was an interesting race and an interesting finish as well. So, uh, David, why don't you go ahead and tell us what happened? Yeah, I mean, let's start off with the the beginning. I mean, first off, Mick Schumacher had withdrew from the race prior to even it it happening. Um, And this is according to RacingReference.info. But, I mean, we had issues off the beginning. Uh, Yuki Sonoda... in the Alphatari, Dave was coming to the formation lap and didn't start. His engine quit. And, you know, something, you know, it's starting to become a common theme. And we'll talk about this as we go into Austria or Australia, too, that there were that engine problems are starting to happen with these new cars. And so we look at it. So we had that, we had a nice start and I mean, it, I mean, it was Charles Leclerc off in a bang. He was, you know, or Perez starting to pull, but Leclerc jumped out quick and it was, um, it was good. And it came down to like the first pit stop that it was around um, the, the first pit stop that lap 15 and Red Bull pits and Ferrari called their bluff, um, called bluffed, and they were coming out on the pits, and and Red Bull fell for the bluff, and Ferrari didn't pit, 
They went, you know, LeClaire would pit on 17, but then there was a safety car. Um, Alonzo started to slow on 36. Ricardo came to a stop on lap 37. Um, Latifi had clutch issues. Ricardo had clutch issue. Alonzo's engine quit. Uh, Bottas' engine overheated. Albon had a crash. And Hamilton even missed a pit stop. They told him to box, 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 and he missed it. Um, lap 42, Verstappen takes the lead. Um, Leclerc takes it back on 43. 47, Verstappen to the lead. And with a great pass, and on lap 50, the yellow comes out, and the yellow comes out, and Verstappen goes on to win it. Um, He beats Leclerc in a throwing finish. Um, It was definitely a bounce back after uh, Bahrain, um, or after Abu Dhabi, I mean. Um, So Verstappen with the win, Leclerc second, Sands was third, Perez was fourth, George Russell was fifth, um, Lewis Hamilton was 10th, um, he just had issues all day. And going after that race, Leclerc had a 45 point lead or had 45 points. He had a 12 point lead over Sands for Stappen, Russell, Hamilton, and Hamilton were your top five in points. And that was really interesting. And it led up to what I would say was a very interesting race in Australia. And we'll talk about our, our thoughts on this in a moment. You know, we'll talk about Australia. But Elliot, before I get into that, what's your thoughts about Saudi Arabia? I mean, I, I had caught the highlights of it. But man, just yeah, watching it, the, the engine issues. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of mechanical attrition uh, this race. And it all happened to seem pretty much all at once in the middle of the race. Um, so that was certainly notable. Um, you talked about Mick Schumacher as well. He had a crash, I believe in practice and, uh, it was a, a pretty severe hit and, uh, he went to the hospital, got checked out and was, uh, was released almost immediately and, uh, you know, jumped on social media, said, Hey, I'm okay. Um, and the team withdrew his entry for the weekend uh, to focus on getting his car fixed for Australia. Um, his teammate, Kevin Magnuson, um, continued um, Haas's impressive start to the season by finishing in the points, finishing ninth, and ahead of Lewis Hamilton to boot. So uh, that was a very impressive effort for him. Um, but David, you talked about the, um, the thrilling finish between Verstappen and Leclerc. Um, and the, the, the fight that they had going all the way to the end. Um, it was uh, a race where it was uh, one of these kind of finishes that, you know, we haven't, we don't see very often in Formula One where you have two cars in close proximity fighting for the win to the very end. So um, as you pointed out, it was, a, it was a statement win for Red Bull, um, bouncing back from the issues they had in, in uh, Abu Dhabi. But um, most certainly, yeah, but moving forward to Australia now, and 
it was a bounce back of a different variety, even if it wasn't a win per se, um, a, a huge bounce back for Mercedes. Um, so uh, David, why don't you go ahead and uh, walk us through uh, what happened in the race and then let's talk about some of the big uh, takeaways from, from what happened. Yeah, and, and Australia, I mean, this was a race, if you're on the East Coast, you were probably, you probably either slept and watched at 1 a.m. or you didn't get to bed until 3 a.m. because of, of the time frame. Um, and this was amazing. This was an amazing race. Um, you know, Ferrari, Charles Leclerc on the pole again. I have an interesting stat after this about him and polls. Um, but right off the bat, after the start, nice and clean lap two, Carlos Sainz uh, overshoots the corner and crashes. Um, he overshoots it, ends up in turn 10, just crashing it. And he just had no, I mean, he just shot past looking at the replay. And, and that was it. His day was done. But then about nine laps later, um, Vettel goes off the course. And then Hamilton starts to have tire issues. Now we're thinking, oh, no, Hamilton's having tire issues. This isn't good. Just wait. Right. It's early on in the race. Um, and on lap 24, uh, Vettel bad luck hit again he went off the course on lap 11 he crashed on lap 12 um or on lap 2024 20, i mean or lap 22 he crashed and that was it and then it was issues for red bull and for stappen for stappen doing good running second engine problems fuel leak he is done lap 38 no points for the day and then Leclerc, the corn racing reference, when, when that happened with Verstappen, and then Leclerc just went on to win. He led all 58 laps of the race. He goes to win. Ferrari gets their second win of the season. They're dominating the Constructors' Championship. He's dominating the point. And here's the interesting fact that I've heard, that when Charles Leclerc, has started a race from the pole. Now, Grant, he crashed at Mon he cr he got the pole in Monaco last year and crashed in qualifying and did not start. So someone can take it the other way, but when he has started a race from the pole, he has he is four four four. He's he's four times four wins. That is unbelievable that he's a hundred percent winning from the from the pole position so far. So I will say, I mean, it, it was Leclerc with the win, Perez second, George Russell, Lewis Hamilton, Mercedes bounce back. Um, they're second in the constructors right now. Um, Lando Norris was fifth. Ricardo had a great day. He was sixth. A bodice bouncing back from his issues in Saudi Arabia to finish eighth. Other nobles, Mick Schumacher, 13th, Kevin Magnuson, 14th. Sonoda actually finished 15th. 
Fernando Alonso was 17th, but the points right now, this is how dominating Charles Leclerc is in the points. He has 71 points. George Russell is second with 37. He's 34 points behind. Sands is third um, with 33 points. Perez is fourth with 30, Hamilton's fifth with 25, and Max Verstappen is sixth, or Hamilton has 28, Verstappen has 25. This is unbelievable that, you know, everyone thought, you know, hey, here's here's the fight between Red Bull and Mercedes, and you know, this is going to continue. You know, we have the controversy and Ferrari. Um, just like the MM, MM song, guess who's back? Um, and and it's Ferrari. Ferrari is back and dominating, which is something that has not happened for a while. Yeah, indeed, that's the case. And, um, you know, we talked about it at during the off season and previewing this year, um, Leclerc had all the ingredients to have a big season for Ferrari. Um, it just was a matter of um, him being comfortable in the car and just all, you know, circumstances going his way. No different than, you know, we've talked about the same last year with Kyle Larson and Ryan Blaney. The same was true for Leclerc as well. And, He's definitely um, come into his own, and that team is firing on all cylinders right now. So um, it's a, a, a huge surprise that uh, the Mercedes cars, generally speaking, seem to be, you know, off pace and as much as they are to the point where, yeah, they're contending, but they're not winning and they're certainly not dominating like they were uh, last year alongside Red Bull. Um, and, you know, to a degree, the same can be said about Red Bull, too. Yes, they still have fast cars, but um, their reliability has demonstrated to be more of a challenge this year uh, than last year by far. So um, certainly some uh, uh, some interesting storylines to come from the start of it. As you pointed out, Red Bull is uh, running, excuse me, Ferrari is running away with the manufacturer's championship thus far. Um, scoring 104 points over uh, Mercedes 65 uh, and Red Bulls 55. So um, certainly a, a very strong start to them, and we'll see where things go from there. That um, that's the oh, sorry, it meant me not to me interrupt, but yeah, that's I mean, it's unbelievable. It's been a while since Ferrari has had some sort of dominance. I mean, mm-hmm. they they had that season where Vettel was doing well and you thought, oh, he's going to do good. You know, maybe Ferrari can, you know, get a championship and, and steal that, you know, that, you know, you know, steal one away. And when he crashed in Hockenheim in, in Germany, that was it. That, I mean... Mm-hmm. In the rain, that was it. That went the point lead, that went everything, and that went the season. And Ferrari then makes a, a change in, in print in um, team principal. And um, 
you know, and, you know, they're making changes. They get LeClaire, you know, they finally weed out uh, Vettel. And Mm -hmm. I just, I mean, I think Ferrari just finally figured out a combination. And, And sadly in Formula One, it does take a while to bounce back. It, it really does because you can have one terrible season. You know, it's not like um, IndyCar or NASCAR where you have one terrible race and the next race you can bounce back. Here, I mean, you're you're trying to figure things out more. You're you're you know you, you have to make sure the car's right. You're 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 just playing with different things and sometimes personnel it just doesn't click and i think ferrari's just finally hit something that's clicked yeah definitely and it'll be interesting to see where where things go for the rest of the year yeah um, but it, certainly ferrari has put their stamp on uh, the first part of the year. And speaking of putting their stamp on the first part of the year, let's uh, transition over to the IndyCar series in the uh, Grand Prix of Long Beach. And David, there was a, um, a race winner here that his, him and his team are definitely serving notice that the championship is going to go through them this year, I think. So uh, why don't you uh, talk us through this race and uh, what the big takeaways were? Yeah, I mean, definitely a a precursor to what may be coming um, in a few weeks in, um, you know, at, you know, we're going to have Barber, but then we're going to have the Indy 500. So, I mean, Long Beach, you know, that, that, you know, it's a great race. Usually it has been, Andretti dominant. Uh, Long Beach is known for the the Andretti dominance, and to and and this day it was not Andretti. Um, Andretti had more issues, but it was rather you know, let's say that you know, a rival through the years, um, Penske, and Penske came out on top this weekend, especially with Joseph Newgard. Um, you know, at Long Beach and, you know, heard a beat New Garden off the start and left him in the dust. Um, you know, early on, uh, Delta uh, Kellett um, ended up crashing in turn one. Uh, he finished his last for the day. Um, what happened was um, he just, so, you know, it's very easy in Long Beach to overshoot a corner. Uh, he overshot crashed it um bright um colton heard uh, actually did very well he led the first 28 laps of the race according to racing reference um and then rossi made an awesome pass at one point t- to get by rosenquist he kind of used up his tires in it when he did that ended up having to pit on lap 27 um but they kind of touched a little you could see that maybe the Andre thing was starting to go, and here's why. When Colton Hur made his pit stop at lap 30, it went out, out the window. They had a terror, they, they weren't quick. Joseph Newgarden came in at lap 31 and beat him in time. 
issues were still happening with her to later on uh, when Palou had been his pit time almost by like three seconds. Newgarn was a little over a second. Palou was almost three. And that's because Herta actually almost missed, went to the wrong pits and screwed, you know, and it kind of messed up. So Andre was having trouble throughout the day. We had, um, yeah, the pit issues for Andre. Um, Colton, um, Colton Her actually ends up going out in a crash on lap 55, according to Racing Reference. Then Simon Pagino. Who would think this happened on lap 60? Who would think someone would actually end up in the the garden near the fountain? That's pretty exceptional. (laughs) Yeah. Who who would think? Um, Let's just say he went to go smell the roses, literally. Uh, um, He ended up in the fountain. Or not in the fountain, but in the flowers. Um, someone, I, I think it was Townsend Belly, said he was been waiting for that to happen his whole time. So <laughs> check that off your list. Um, yeah. we, I mean, Grosjean was in second with 16 to go, but it was, we thought this was going to get interesting at the end, but it was um, with 10 to go. Um, Jimmy Johnson ends up crashing um having a wreck on lap 73 with david malkus that puts them out causes yellow with two to go takumo sato ends up crashing in turn eight uh same section where johnson and malkus hits and because of that it ends under yellow and joseph newgarn wins the race and grows ryan d they have a chance to try so the, the the Penske got the Penske got Andretti this time around. Joseph Newgarn wins his second race in a row. Penske's won three in a row. And Joseph Newgarn now has a five-point lead over his teammate Scott McLaughlin. Um, but other notables, Alex Blue was third, Will Power fourth, Pedro Award fifth, Scott Dixon sixth, Graham Rahal seventh. Alexander Rossi was eighth um, after his issues. Helio Castroneves ninth. Kyle Kirkwood, great job for him, fishing 10th. Um, other notables, Connor Daly was 12th. Uh, Renus VK 13th. Um, Scott McLaughlin 14th. Uh, Tatiana Calderon actually finished 16th. Good day for her. Um, she finished one lap down. Um, Jimmy Johnson, 20th, Colton Herr, 23rd, uh, Kellum Elliott was 24th, uh, Devlin DeFrancesco suffered a crash on 30, lap 35, he was 25th, and Dalton Kellett was 26th, so, um, yeah, it was a really rough day for Andretti. Elliot, your thoughts? Yeah, um, it seemed as though, uh, Team Penske had this thing figured out um, for much of the way, although um, to your point, it, it, it was kind of a, um, a free-for-all amongst all three of the top teams. You had um, Colton Herta leading for a while for Andretti. Um, you had Grosjean uh, contending for the win late for Andretti. Pelot led 22 laps, according to Racing Reference, for Ganassi. 
Um, but at the end of the day, it was it was Newgarden that uh, that brought home the win for Team Penske. And it's worth noting that three of the top four in driver standings, uh, the point standings in IndyCar, are Team Penske drivers. And this is another theme that we talked about at the beginning of the year was um, how many gremlins befell that team last year and how many fast cars they had and good runs they had that were undone uh, because of uh, circumstances, you know, a fair number of which were out of their control. So we're starting to see um, what these drivers having clean races looks like and how that's translating into race wins, solid finishes, and solid uh, standings in the points. So um, it's, it's, to your point, it's certainly, um, you know, a fight between Penske and Ganassi right now. And then, um, you know, with Andretti in there as well, you know, certainly uh, Grosjean. And by the way, Grosjean is, is uh, the highest ranking Andretti driver in the points right now, sixth in points after this race. So um, he's continuing to build on the season that he had last year, the breakout season he had with, um, I believe it was, um, was it coin or was it uh, Meyer shank? It, it was coin. Point. Was Thank you. Point, yeah. Um, so yeah, he's having a, a, a great season with, uh, with Andretti thus far and be interesting to see what happens with him and, uh, and Barber and if he can break through there. Yeah, mo- most certainly. Yep. So Elliot, now we've talked about open wheel. Let's talk about NASCAR. Indeed. Um, there were, um, there were four different races that uh, we need to talk about here real quick. Um, and First, starting with uh, the Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas. Um, as we recall, this race last year, um, Mother Nature um, made the race weekend very difficult. A lot of rain, uh, a lot of um, a lot of ponding on on the ponding of water on the racetrack uh, made for a difficult weekend. This this year, not so much. Um, it was uh, sunny skies, dry weather, and a, a terrific race and a thrilling finish at the end um, with Ross Chastain, A.J. Allmendinger, and Alex Bowman um, all fighting for the win on the last lap. Um, And there were, uh, at one point, uh, Allmendinger moved Chastain, and then uh, uh, Chastain, with, I believe, two corners to go, um, got into the back of Allmendinger, who tried to save it and went up and hit Bowman, which knocked those two out of the way, and then Chastain slides through and wins his first career NASCAR Cup Series race on the road course at Circuit of the Americas. Uh, Bowman still recovered to finish second. Christopher Bell finished third. Chase Elliott, last year's winner, brought it home fourth. And Tyler Reddick, um, continuing his strong start to the season in fifth. Um, Then it was Blaney, Truex, Sindrick, Jones, and Dillon rounding out the top 10. Uh, let's see, other notables in the field. Uh, Michael McDowell, um, always a solid road course racer, brought it home 13th. Keselowski was 14th. Um, Denny Hamlin, uh, to this point in the season, having his his best run, I believe, finishing 18th. Uh, Eric Amarola finishing 19th. Um, Daniel Suarez, 24th. Kaz Corrala for the money team, uh, bringing it home 25th. 
Boris said for Carl Long's team finishing in 26. AJ Allmendinger, after that contact late in the race, um, finishes in 33rd position. Um, so, David, your thoughts on Circuit of the Americas? That it was an amazing race. It, it was it was amazing. I mean, it it definitely brought the hype more than last year, and I think it's because of the nice weather. And if you take a, I mean, if you take a look at it, I mean, Chastain, I mean, man, you know, he was on the edge for wins and, you know, getting a win and he got it. I mean, he smashed the watermelon and what a way to, what a way to get your first win. And for, I mean, track house racing, I mean, they they finally got something. And I mean, listening to the, the dinner with racers with Justin Marks and the whole with him trying to get charters. And when, when it finally happened with Ganassi, this has paid off. This has paid off. And, and congratulations to Justin Marks on that too. Yeah, it was a, a, certainly a breakout win for Trackhouse Racing. Gets them in the playoffs. Um, so uh, definitely huge momentum for that team to start the year. Um, and moving ahead one week now, um, you know, if, if you're the, the, the best medicine for um, a rough season, um, you know, or just uh, things not going well in general is, well, sometimes all you have to do is just go home. And in Denny Hamlin's case, that was exactly what happened at the uh, at the Toyota Owners 400 at Richmond Raceway in Virginia, Denny Hamlin's home track. Um, his team uh, brought a fast car and Denny Hamlin knew what to do with it um, in a race that featured an unusually long green flag run in the final stage, um, lasting from lap 264 all the way through to the end at lap 400, according to Racing Reference. Um, and uh, a race too that featured a lot of different pit strategies, which had huge ramifications late in the race. Um, Goodyear brought a, a tire, much as they did last year, that uh, fell off considerably during the course of a run. And so tire management was a, a, a big issue in this race. And, um, when you pit as well was um, was a, a, a big thing, uh, was a, a, a determining factor in who won the race and who didn't. Uh, Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick, who finished right behind him, um, pitted a little bit later uh, than uh, some of the other cars that were leading William Byron and Martin Truex to a name. Um, and uh, Hamlin was able to uh, make the winning pass with about five laps to go and held on over a hard charging Kevin Harvick using lap traffic to his advantage in the closing laps um, to secure his first win of the season for Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, Harvick finishing second, Byron, Truex, and Larson, the top five, Bell, Blaney, Bowman, Bush, and Dillon. Austin Dillon, another top 10 for him. Um, other notables, Chase Briscoe was 11th. Tyler Reddick, after his strong finish the week before, brought it home 12th. Brad Keselowski was 13th. Chase Elliott, 14th. 
Joey Logano was 17th, Ross Chastain last week's winner was 19th, and Austin Sindrick rounded out the top 20. David, thoughts on Richmond? I mean, it was amazing. I, I, I couldn't believe how long of a green flag run. I was waiting for that caution, and I, I would say if they would have had a caution near the end, um, I think Harvick would have stole that stole that win from Hamlin. But yeah, it was unbelievable. Um, Hamlin, you know, you know, he led five laps according to Racing Reference. Well, it was definitely um, you know, the most important laps he had to lead, which were the final five laps of the race. So, I mean, Harvick was closing in. They didn't have a caution. It was his taking, and it was a great job for him. Um, he's had some struggles this year, so definitely a, a great win for him. And, and Toyota finally, um, you know, getting that, that win they needed this year to, to kind of, you know, get the, you know, they, they, you know, they've had some races, they, they got another win here to get them on, to um, get them on the, you know, at least get them on the board here with, with Hamlin winning. So they, they definitely needed that this year. Indeed. Um, now moving ahead to the following race weekend, this was Martinsville. Uh, and this one was much as Atlanta was dominated by one William Byron for Hendrick Motorsports driving the famous number 24 entry uh, this on um, this day leading 212 laps um, with his teammate Chase Elliott leading 185 um, mm -hmm. Chase Elliott's day being undone I believe by uh, pit strategy maybe a pit penalty as well um, but uh, either way it was uh, Byron holding, holding serve most of the day and holding off uh, the, the field, including Joey Logano and Austin Dillon on a late race, green, white checkered to bring home the win and the grandfather clock for Hendrick Motorsports over Logano and Dillon. Those were your top three. Blaney and Chastain finishing, rounding out the top five. Kurt Busch um, having a terrific day for 23-11 racing after a miserable day at Richmond the week before, finishing sixth, Kyle Busch bringing it home seventh, followed by Almirola, Briscoe, and then Chase Elliott rounding out the top 10. Um, David, thoughts on Martinsville? I, I, well, I got to say, I mean, it, Chase Elliott got bit by the bug. Does the strategy, when, when that pit strategy happened, that Byron beat him out, that was it. Um, I, I think they, I think mentally things got in their mind. Um, now it was just, I mean, it, it was, you know, tough for him. I was hoping for that win, but Byron becomes your, your first repeat winner of the season. Um, that's really good. It was a thrilling race under the lights. Um, you know, a little delayed start to it due to uh, weather. But it was a really good race, um, enjoyable, and yeah, Hendrick dominant. You know, Martinsville's becoming that the the track that Hendrick always dominates at. So, yeah, yeah really good race. Yeah, for sure. One uh, one note about this race that you know was kind of prevalent throughout the race weekend and was discussed afterwards was uh, the prevalence of shifting. 
at Martinsville, um, which you know we haven't really seen before. Um, and there was some comment about what they were going to do coming back if they were going to change the uh, the gear ratios around so that drivers wouldn't shift or wouldn't have to shift. Um, and I thought there being that them moving to a five gear gearbox and a sequential shift at that, um, I think kind of lends itself to the increased propensity to shift at tracks um, where, you know, you otherwise wouldn't think of it. And I think that was definitely the case here. Yeah, mo most certainly indeed. I mean, who would thought that they would be using four or, or five gear, you know, four or five gear, you know, fourth gear or five gear and shifting. I mean, what did Chase Elliott said that he thinks he was, he was expecting to shift 1600 times during the race. That's a lot. It is. And that's, it's also notable too, that for all of the shifting that they were doing, you really didn't hear about too many drivers having transmission issues. Yeah. And they, they figured they, they figured it out. I mean, you would figure, oh man, there's going to be high attrition, but you know, you know, if this is a way they're going to be able to work the shifting out and, and get that figured out, this was probably a good track to do it at. Sure. Um, and I think we noticed that too at uh, Circuit of the Americas a couple of weeks before too. I don't think there was a whole lot of mechanical attrition that came out of uh, that race either. Yeah. Um, now moving ahead, the last race that we're going to cover um, in the checkered segment was this year's Food City Dirt Race at Bristol Motor Speedway. Um, they made some changes after last year's running, uh, this time moving it to the evening um, and also somewhat controversially, running this race over Easter weekend um, and the running the race itself uh, the, on, uh, on Easter evening. Um, and the, the result of it and also how they prepared the racetrack, um, markedly different racing this time. Uh, while there were some issues with uh, mud and mud caking on grills and causing um, some engines to overheat, especially on the, the Stuart Haas team, um, after that, it was kind of a wide open dirt race um, and a whole bunch of different grooves being in play um, and certainly a very entertaining race um, and no more so than coming down to the last lap. It was a fight between Tyler Reddick and Chase Briscoe. Um, Briscoe probably hit being the, the class of the field pretty much all night. Um, he and Christopher Bell, who is another strong uh, entry on this evening, um, elected to pit, I believe, at the start of stage three. Some other cars stayed out for pit strategy or for uh, track position. And um, those cars, by and large, held serve, Tyler Reddick being one of them. Um, and while Chase Briscoe was able to, uh, to fight and claw his way back up from outside the top 10 to competing for the win late, um, it was a, a desperation move on the final in the final corners on the part of Briscoe that uh, not only knocked out him, but also Tyler Reddick, um, although Reddick impressively recovered to finish the race, albeit a close second behind Kyle Busch, who was able to sneak by the spinning leaders in turns three and four to capture his first win of the season for Joe Gibbs Racing 
and now marking two Joe Gibbs cars in the playoffs for the fall. Um, and Bush taking home the win, leading only one lap, the last lap, to take home the win. Um, and then it was uh, Reddick. Joey Logano had a solid night, finishing third. Kyle Larson, um, an early favorite, um, was solid, leading 27 laps, but uh, wasn't really a factor in the end of it. He finished fourth. Ryan Blaney, another impressive run for him, finishing fifth. Bowman, Bell, Elliott, Michael McDowell, another strong run for him. And Ty Dillon, the number 42 car for Petty GMS Motorsports, rounding out the top 10. Brad Keselowski, a notable finishing 11th. Um, Justin Haley having a solid night in, uh, in 14th. Daniel Suarez, who had a, a breakout race in this race last year, uh, finished 12th night. Uh, finished 12th on the night. Um, and Austin Sendrick, your Daytona 500 winner, finishing 16th. William Byron, uh, the, the winner two weeks before at Richmond, finishing 18th. And Harrison Burton rounding out your top 20. David, your thoughts on Bristol real quick. So I, I'll say quickly, I only caught the last few laps because it was Easter Sunday. Had family over, caught the last few laps at the end. I will put it this way. Um, it KFB for short can keep his mouth shut, and I'm gonna say it right now. You don't quote Dale, C you don't say you can't, he can't compare himself to what Dale Sr. did. The reason he got booed is because he's Kyle Bush, and a lot of people don't like him. You cannot, you, and I mean. How's he compare himself to Dale Earnhardt like that? The only reason Earnhardt got booed in 99 is because he spun Terry Labonte around. But that was the Interminator. Back then, they used the chrome horn. He didn't go fighting people afterwards. After the race, they talked. You know, at the end, they were all friends. Kyle Bush has had it, made his share of enemies. And he, you know what? He comes nowhere near to the Intimidator. He'll never be. I would rather compare Jeff Gordon first closer to the intimidator or what Jimmy Johnson did. I hate to say it, but Kyle Bush, egotistical bleep, 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 bleep. Um, I, I hope he I, I hope he has a nice hard day at Talladega. Oh, he just pisses me off with that quote. Though, yeah, he's, though, though that's not the first stupid comment he's made at, at Bristol. Cost him a ride in Hendrick. So, you know, do, you know, you want to get sponsors, Kyle? Stop saying that. Yeah, but I mean, that's that is Kyle Bush, and he is known for, uh, you know, being one of those drivers that you either really love or really hate. And it was the reaction at, after the race at Bristol was pretty decided who they, uh, what they, what they thought of him. So, yeah. And, and, you know, well, they may not have been, you know, well, that's the thing. You know, I, I don't know if they were booing him or not. It could have been Briscoe. It could have been, you know, I, I don't know, but I will say, Reddick and Briscoe um, 
that was very gentleman like what they did. You know, they conducted the interviews well. You know, Reddick's talking, here comes Briscoe up. And, you know, Reddick knew, you know, Reddick knew he gave it away. And what did they do? They shook hands. You know, Briscoe was apologized for his fault. And what does Reddick say? Hey, you know, I, I let you get in there. I should have been, I, I should have kept you at bay a little for, I let you come in and, you know, that's what that, that should be like. So, yeah. Um, you know, Kyle's got to remember he doesn't have a sponsor next year. MMs is gone. So we'll, we'll see what, we'll see what happens with that later on but um when when Kyle shoots his mouth off like that things don't usually go well um they don't has... and well it doesn't and and you know the the record has already kind of caught up with him because you if you recall a few weeks ago he made a comment about Alex Bowman backing into a win at Vegas um over Kyle Bush on uh, a pit strategy at the very end of the race and um Kyle Busch being very frustrated at that um but then on in this evening what how did he end up winning the race well he kind of backed into one when the leaders in front of him spun out and crashed in the last lap so um it was kind of funny how that that turned about on him not for the first time either he did the same thing at Fontana in 2013 when Joey Logano and Denny Hamlin wrecked on the last lap um, but, um, certainly, um, you know, there was some attention to that as well. And I'm sure that also kind of drove the fan reaction to him winning yeah. as well. Um, so, uh, a lot of events, uh, covered in the checkered segment. Uh, we've got a great spotlight coming up. We're going to talk about formula one going to Vegas in 2023, uh, part of an expanded, uh, Formula One presence in the United States um, next year and the years beyond. Going to talk much more about that here in just a minute. This is from Checker to Green. The From Checker to Green podcast will be right back. Do you want a topic to be covered or guess we should have in a future episode? Well, you can drop us a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Gmail at CKRD, the number two, GRN, at gmail.com. Your feedback drives our content for future episodes. If you like the episode you're listening to, then you can listen to previous episodes at podcast.com, Apple Podcasts, and coming soon, Google Play Music. We thank you for your listenership. Now back to From Checker to Green Podcast. Thank you, David. Our spotlight segment this evening is going to focus on Formula One and um, a race weekend that was recently announced, um, or a race racing event that was recently announced for 2023 and the years preceding at Las Vegas. F1 is going to Vegas in 2023. They're they're returning to Vegas. That is true. 
Because um, in the 80s, they tried Caesar's Palace and uh, a, a street course around Caesar's Palace, and that failed. Um, but this time around, they're doing some things a little different. And Elliot, um, we might have to take a road trip. Maybe. Um, but this is certainly um, uh, a big deal, a big event, um, not only for Las Vegas, who are, you know, as you said, no stranger to um, hosting auto racing events, having Las Vegas Motor Speedway um, just north of, of the Strip, but um, also hosting Formula One in, in past decades. Um, this is, uh, um, according to Sportico.com, uh, an article by Barry Bloom, uh, this is going to be um, a race in November of 2023 on a track that is 3.8 miles in length, um, running between, uh, and I'm quoting the article here, running between the casinos and articles, excuse me, running between the casinos and hotels of the Las Vegas Strip with speeds expected to reach as high as 212 miles per hour. It's one thing to get around the strip, uh, Las Vegas strip traffic in a whole different turn right there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, hmm. I, I think I'm going to want to be at one of those hotels, um, you know, a nice top floor looking down. Yeah, I think that is going to be interesting. And not only that, and this is according to Nate Saunders on ESPN, uh, this article on ESPN, it's going to be a Saturday night race in November. Talk about, um, you know, there used to be a show on ESPN that it featured midget racing called Saturday Night Thunder. This is Saturday Night Thunder, a new way, and it's going to be at 10 p.m. at night, Las Vegas time, that they're going to be racing this. Um, we, you know Las Vegas, you know, if, if you've been to Las Vegas, it does get really hot. You know, that kind of was the demise of the Caesar Palace Grand Prix. Um, was the, the, the time and the temperatures and, and it just running it down. Um, it's going to be a 3.8 miles course. Um, you know, they're going to go by Caesar's Palace, Bellagio, the, the Bellagio, the famed Bellagio Fountain, the Mandolin Bay, um, as well as the ball shaped MSG sphere, which is under construction and it's going to be um, um, completed next year. Now we don't know when in November it's gonna happen. Um, we, we know that usually Circuit of the Americas um, has been a fall race. So I don't know if this is gonna end up um, um, kind of coinciding with this, you know, Coda is in April, Miami is May this year, which, um, you know, there was some news recently that it may not go on the race in Miami, um, but, but is going through, it looks like we are going to have the race in Miami um, in, a, in a few weeks. Um, there's some legal um, 
Yeah, there were some legal jumbo. challenges, some injunctions yeah. that were attempting to be filed, but um, a, a judge recently said uh, or dismissed those challenges. Um, and so with that, um, the race is, you know, um, all clear to proceed so, as scheduled. So yeah, yep, they're ready to go in Miami. So, so I mean, it, it's going to be interesting. I don't know if this, um, you know, if they're going to go to, you know, my, my thought is what's going to happen is they're going to go to Coda one week and then they're going to go to Vegas the week after that. That's my thought is, um, now it's, um, now here's the issue that they're going to have to deal with is, um, is, is formula one's about to go head to head against the NFL. Uh, the reason I say this is because of the Las Vegas Raiders, um, the, the NFL schedule comes out, um, the 2022 schedule comes out, um, May or comes out May 12th with, with some leaks. And I was just listening recently and, and I'll, I'll get to my point in this in a moment uh, to uh, Sal Capaccio, who's the Buffalo Bills sideline reporter um, for the uh, Bills Radio Network. Um, he He's on WGR 550 AM in Buffalo a couple of quick shameless plugs here, but he has a podcast, Sales, Sports, and More. Um, and it's really good. He was talking with Mike North, the VP of scheduling for the NFL. And he says what a lot of teams do is they submit when they're going to need, when they want to be home and when they can't be home. Um, and he says the challenges is he gave an example, uh, you know, for example, you know, some teams say, oh, I got a concert here and I got a concert here. Well, well, they say, well, we're going to work with you on that. But guess what? You may be on the road for three or four weeks in a row. So don't complain. You know, you know, you, you want all this and that. So, um, It'll be very interesting to see what they do. Um, I think it, it. I think since it's a Saturday night race, this might be a very big opportunity for Formula One next year to, you know, maybe go to the owners of, of the Las Vegas Raiders and the NFL and say, "Hey, we got this event in November on a Saturday night. You want to book a Sunday football game?" Maybe we could do something. Um, I supposedly I've heard Daniel Ricardo is a giant is a is a uh, Buffalo Bills fan from what I've heard. Um, he gives a lot of shout outs to that. Um, I, I guess him and Josh Allen have talked on Twitter, so um, you know I, I, from what I've heard. So it's. Um, you know, maybe if the Bills end up playing the Raiders there or or somewhere or something like that happens, heck, maybe schedule the Buffalo Bills to play there or, or something or, or do that. So um, I think it's going to be very interesting how they set that up with the NFL season going on in November, too. Yeah, for sure. Um, the only thing that I have a question about 
with respect to combining an NFL weekend and a Formula One weekend in Vegas is just going to be the sheer number of people that are going to be there. Um, well, yeah. I mean, look at Drive to Survive. Look at how big that has gotten people to watch and yeah. how it's increased. I mean, if Formula One has taken um, off like what soccer has done many years before in America. I mean, soccer has grown in America. Um, you're seeing that now. Um, even even the new construction of the, the Buffalo Bills Stadium that's going to be constructed, they're planning for to have soccer matches there. Um, so, I mean... With with combining it, and you mentioned the share number of people, oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's a good way to say, you know, there's these NFL fans who are these Formula One fans, and then you've got NFL fans who, you know, they could say, hey, let's go watch a Formula One race. You know, let's go see what happens. And, you know, maybe the NFL turns around and says, you know, we're going to do a Sunday night game in Vegas that day. Um, you know, it would be it would be very interesting to see what happens with that. But, yeah, you said sheer number of people, and that's huge for Formula One. You want, you want to draw people into it? That's what you got to do. You've got to do something that's going to get them in. And um, we, we know what the history is like with, with Vegas. And, and that's the thing that's been scary is that um, it wasn't until CODA was successful that Formula One started to expand more in America. And that now they've expanded to Vegas. They've hit Austin. They hit Miami. They're hitting Vegas. All big popular areas for race, you know, you know, for racing or, and it's, I mean, I just, I think that's going to be very, very interesting to see what comes out of this. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think the sheer number of people you have there, I mean, looking at the circuit, I mean, it would be very interesting to, you know, I think having the sheer number of people is going to help with that, especially if you had an NFL event there the day after. It will. Um, my only question is if you're going to have too many people there and if you're going to have you know, not enough, you know, and I, this is kind of unbelievable for me to say this, but um, not enough hospitality infrastructure um, to be able to handle both of well, those events on the same weekend. Well, you, you've got, you, you kind of got old Vegas, you got new Vegas to the strip, and then you've got hotels. I mean, look at South Point. Look who, who was it? Is it Gon's family that owns yep. South Point? Yep. Right. I mean, you've got hotels all around and you, um, I mean, you, you do have, I mean, you've got hotels all around, um, you know, there, there's different parts of Vegas to stay in. So I think, um, you know, hospitality wise, 
I I think they can handle it. You got to remember, yeah. this place is going to hold a Super Bowl. And this is true. Th- this place is holding a Super Bowl. And the thing you need to hold the Super Bowl is, um, you know, you, you, have, you, you have to have so many golf courses. You have to have so many hotels. They, you, you got to have, you know, all this stuff. And, and you have to lay out these requirements. This is why, you know, you know, things like, you know, you know, certain areas don't have it, you know, Super Bowls is because they can't, they can't even touch those numbers. So, I mean, if this place is going to have a Super Bowl, then most certainly you can do it. You know, the, the, the other thing is, is you have a hockey team there. So even if they didn't have an NFL team, you've got a hockey team there. Um, you've got the UN, you got UNLV there. You know, Formula One could, you know, do a do a thing at, at the university. I'm I think this is the first city they've gone to that I think there's a lot more options for them out there to to expand what Formula One is. Yeah, for sure. And there's another thought too. You talked about the universities, them running this race on a Saturday night, they're going to be going up against college football as well. So it'll be interesting to me to see how um, all of these things kind of combine um, and how all of it comes together. It's worth noting. I don't know. If, uh, I don't think we've talked about it lately, but um, you know, but you, you just touched on it a short time ago, David, that the um, the domestic interest in Formula One has increased considerably, and you know, year over year. As a matter of fact. Um, uh, Auto Week in an article of March 29th um, talked about the ratings from the um, Saudi Arabian Grand Prix um, at Jeddah, and it was the most watched Formula One race in the United States since 1995. So um, the fact that you're seeing this amount of interest in the sport, and they said it was helped too by um, you know a start time at at one o'clock Eastern. Yeah. Um, you know, novel concept. Hello, NASCAR. Um, but, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, over a million viewers, um, average, um, and, you know, even, uh, it, it, uh, eclipsed what they were getting from the week before at Bahrain. So, um, you know, these are, are big numbers for formula one in the United States. And, um, you know, it's also worth noting as well, um, you know, touching back on that Sportico article for a second, they talked about how um, the fan interest at the Circuit of the Americas, um, that event apparently sold out in a little more than 24 hours. Um, And in 2021, the attendance then um, was across the, um, across the three days of of racing was 400,000 people, which was a new F1 record. Um, and that's, again, that's Texas being Texas. I'm not surprised at that in the slightest, but, um, the fact of the matter is that, um, you know, this is a, a market, you know, racetracks, um, as well that are putting on good races, um, and are, are really sustaining the increase in fan interest in formula one here in the United States. So, um, it'll certainly be interesting to see not only how many people 
come out to this race. It's it's they're definitely setting this up to be um, an epic event. Um, you know, having in the middle of Saturday night on the strip uh, and having apparently a straightaway that's going to go that's going to comprise you know a fair bit of the strip. Um, so that's to me. I mean, they're, they're you know trying to check all of the boxes in terms of epic race weekend, epic racetrack, epic experience. Um, so it'll certainly be interesting to see um, how this uh, this works for them. Um, it's also worth noting too that they're going to be putting a fair amount of money into this, um, according to um, the I believe it's the. Uh, the F1 president and chief executive Stef uh, Stefano Domenicali said that um, they are that Vegas will be adding 6.5 million dollars in security and infrastructure. Um, so, and I think Formula One they have some questions on uh, on how much they may spend too, but. Um, Domenicali is quoted saying, we just hope to make more than we spend. So if, um, if trends keep going the way that they're going um, in the United States market, I don't think they're, they're going to be uh, hurting for revenue after uh, this one. So it'll be certainly uh, something to watch on, on the business side here as well. Yeah. And I mean, looking, I mean, looking at things in something you mentioned, you know, you mentioned about the interest in, um, you know, Formula One and all that. And, and one thing that Chris Medlin touched on in his article was about the drive to survive. Now, granted, and I'm, I'm no, not to get political on this or, or, or take sides or anything, um, you know, with Netflix now talking about next year, they're going to crack down on the password sharing and, and they're losing subscribers. Um, you don't, you know, in, in, you know, they came out and said, oh, well, you know, this must mean that there's a lot of sharing going on. Well, the issue is, is, you know, what effect is that going to have? Because if Drive to Survive on Netflix has gotten people into it, and has gotten in and at this point if netflix next year says oh we're going to crack down on password sharing and let's say they lose subscribers um what happens you know does formula one turn around and say yeah maybe we might put drive to survive on amazon prime or maybe we're gonna put it somewhere else um that's going to be very interesting to see what comes out of that. And for to have this race next year to be what it's going to be and, and all the hype, that's the last thing you need is one of your driver, one of the, your marketing tools that drives fans in, that's gotten people hooked into it. Um hurt you um so it's you know that's going to be a very interesting aspect of it but yeah you, you mentioned it elliot you know you know you know, mentioning about them selling out coda you know we'll see how miami does um that will be you know we'll, we'll see how miami goes um you know just looking at the uh f1 las vegas grand prix.com um, you know, 
they they've got some FAQs. Um, tickets are going to go on sale at a later date. There's going to be GA grandstand and luxury seating. There's going to be hospitality packages. Um, you know, they're going to make sure they're ADA compliant. Um, you know, and they said, you know, where is it? It's a, you know, they keep hammering the Las Vegas Strip, which is as soon as you think of the strip, you think of the Welcome to Las Vegas side, you think of the Bellagio, the Caesar Palace, the hotels. Um, and you have to think what what's big in Las Vegas also? Betting, gambling. Mm-hmm. Um man. You, I love to see what the odds are going to be. I mean, Vegas is going to make a killing on, on betting off this race. I hate to say it, but it is this this has become this is going to be the Monaco of America. This is going to be like Monaco. This race, um, it may. It's certainly going to have that amount of hype. Um, yeah. And- to your, your points, David, it's worth noting how many different uh, partners are, are promoting this event. Um, again, according to the Sportico article by Barry Bloom, um, he notes that um, Caesars Entertainment, MGM Resorts International, Win Las Vegas um, are founding partners. Uh, presenting partners include MSG Sphere, Resorts World Las Vegas, the Venetian Resort, are all coming together to help promote this thing. So there's a whole bunch of different big names in hospitality in Vegas that are um, combining to promote this thing. So there's um, there's certainly a lot of um, hospitality inertia, uh, at least from a corporate uh, standpoint, um, helping to uh, promote this and, and you know make it every bit as epic as we think it's going to be. I want to touch on one thing that you talked about with Netflix, David, mm-hmm. um, because they just had their um, uh, Netflix, or excuse me, they just had their, their earnings call here recently. Yeah. Um, and according to um, CNBC, um, one of the, the notes of theirs was, um, you know, that growth is slowing down for them. Um, and one of the big takeaways from the, um, uh, from their earnings report was that they actually lost subscribers um, as opposed to adding them. Um, it's worth noting that they suspended their service in Russia, and again, this is according to CNBC, and wound down all of their Russian paid memberships um, as a result of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, and that was a loss of 700,000 subscribers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's worth noting that their total loss um, was 200,000. So, but for the Russian invasion of Ukraine and everything that's happened as a result of it, they would have had 500,000 um, uh, additional subscribers instead of a loss of 200,000. So there is that. But with with that said, Netflix, I think has, uh, um, you know, their stock has, I think, kind of been regarded as a, a growth stock. Uh, it's one of the FANG stocks um, mm-hmm. that, you know, have been kind of high flying in, in uh in recent years, um, especially during the pandemic. And so while they're, you know, it seems like they're still in a, a good place um, and their uh, their EPS was $3.53 a share. Um, 
versus uh, analyst uh, estimates of $2.89 a share, um, they are noting that their growth is slowing down. And the reason being is because they are so big. Um, and so, uh, you know, they, in uh, their letter to shareholders, they state, quote, our revenue growth has slowed considerably. Um, and given their relative, and again, I'm quoting the, uh, their, their letter here, um, their relatively high household penetration combined with competition is creating revenue growth headwinds. So, um, you know, they're still a very big company, but, you know, how much bigger can you get from there? So that's, that seems to be the question. Um, and so with that said, I think with Drive to Survive, you know, having been, a, you know, ostensibly a very large part of um, generating fan interest in Formula One, in the United States market, I get a feeling that's not going to go away, um, and that um, the con continued interest in the sport will not go away either. I think you're going to continue to see that um, uh, happen as a result of this specific program, the uh, the racing content and people just happening onto it, notwithstanding. Um, so all of that put together, um, you know, it kind of circles back around to the point of, it'll be interesting to see how much more growth happens um, over the rest of this year into next year. And what that translates to in terms of how big this race weekend is going to be. And, you know, we, we've touched on it briefly, but uh, Miami will be uh, certainly a, a, a very telling indicator uh, this year and then also next year as well. Most certainly, indeed. Now, one final thing I want to discuss, Elliot, and this is on the Formula One website about the track. We've talked about the layout, but let's um, get into a little more, you know, you know, let's touch on the final few minutes about your thoughts on this. Um, so according to the Formula One website, you know, they, you know, we mentioned what hotels they were going to go buy, like Caesar's Palace, the Venetian, the, the famed uh, Bellagio and, and its famed fountain. Um, you know, they're saying that at the end of the two kilometer stretch, they're going to have the best braking opportunity for drivers, which is a hard break into the other left-hander, or, you know, into a left-hander. And then there are two other straights, a high-speed course sequence and a chicane to spice things up. But they mentioned about the bumpy roads. What they're going to do is they're going to resurface and iron out those creases on, on the roads. So the street course is going to be smooth. They're going to resurface the roads. And they said, you know, you were wondering, you know, how are you going to race down the strip? Well, they're going to race down one side and avoid taking out the central reservation. So the track will still be around about, um, or to avoid taking out the central reservation. So the track's going to be about 12 to 15 meters wide. So there's going to be plenty of space to, to pass in that, you know, just to answer some questions. But they had 31 different variations of the track before they decided on this layout. Um, and 
they're saying look for the low downforce of the Maza, Monza Spa spec aerodynamic packages. Man, this is going to be amazing. Talk about I, I I'm I'm just getting goosebumps thinking about it, about the track, and and just seeing the layout. Yeah, it's it's certainly going to be interesting. Um, one question I have, and I'm looking at this uh, the, uh, the the layout right with you, David, and um, a couple of things come to mind, and this mainly focuses on the main straightaway there. Um, so this this looks like it's going to be a really long straightaway. Um, I think I saw one that kind of, uh, kind of long beach like. It does, um, but at the same time, I have a. a I'm a little bit concerned and, and maybe it's something completely unrelated, but um, I am a little bit concerned about them, about it having a, um, you know, a slight um, left bend in the straightaway um, going down um, towards, I believe that's the Venetian, um, uh, the, the Bellagio, I'm sorry. Um, you know, I have concerns about uh, tire load and whether or not we're going to see something like what happened at, uh, at Indy in 2005 or 2006, um, where you have, you know, tires that just can't keep up with the, the load there. Um, so I am a little bit concerned about that. And then it's also worth noting too, if you've been to Vegas, you know that uh, they have um, pedestrian overpasses that go over the top of um, major intersections along and over the uh, the Las Vegas Strip um, to, you know, help facilitate the efficient um, address pedestrian traffic and, you know, keep them off of the, the Las Vegas Strip. So uh, those things put together, I think, will be, you know, maybe some uh, safety questions they may have to answer, um, you know, uh, you know, resurfacing it definitely, because that's a heavily used uh, uh, stretch of road right there as well. So, um, so that's that's interesting to know too. And I, I think I mean you're wondering about the tire package. I, I think Pirelli's got to um, excuse me here. I, I think Pirelli's going to have to make sure they, they have a good tire. Um, I mean, if they're talking about the Mazza Monza spa um, aerodynamics and using the low down force, um, my thought is is that um, I think they might run like the mediums or the hards or something. Um, I'm looking right now. Tire choices. Um, let's see. Twenty twenty two. Let's see if I can find the the Pirelli tire choices. Um, let's see. They've only had it. Um. <laughs> let's see here i'm seeing if i could find a image for the track um here's a question for you while, while you're looking that up says, do you think they're going to have the fountains in front of the bellagio going while they have the formula one cars racing by him at 200 plus oh most certainly most certainly you know that they would are be pretty epic it. wouldn't it yeah, so um, I can't find the, the schedule listing for that, but 
I'm I'm thinking, yeah, I'm probably thinking maybe in the middle. Um, I I think it's it'll be interesting to see what um what the what the choices will you know what the choices will be for that season. Um, you know, yeah, see they've confirmed their their tire compounds. Now it's the 18-inch wheel, so that's going to be very interesting to see um but you know i i think it'll be else i think it'll be very interesting to see how this comes out to play sure but either way formula one raising the stakes on their um on their investment in the united states market um in 2023 and beyond will certainly be interesting to see um with that said we're going to go ahead and cash in our chips and take a quick break on the other side of it um we're going to um to go green a different way tonight um talking about uh looking forward and analyzing the long-term viability of the uh, dirt race at bristol on the other side of this break this is from checker to green The From Checker to Green podcast will be right back. Are you looking for that competitive edge for your business or event? Well, Samurai Graphics can design your logo, business card, letterhead, invitation, and flyers for your business or event. Samurai Graphics accepts different forms of payments and will give you that competitive edge you need. Contact Samurai Graphics on Facebook or at Samurai Graphics. 716 at gmail.com. Samurai Graphics, your business solution. Now back to From Checker to Green podcast. Thank you, David. Our green segment tonight, we're going to look forward to um, what the future of uh, different topics in motorsports may look like. And tonight we're going to focus on um, a race that was just run here very recently and that we touched on in our checkered segment. And that is the dirt race at Bristol Motor Speedway. Um, David, there's, uh, and the, the question that we're going to tackle is, should Bristol run a dirt race in the spring? Um, and to kind of frame the question, um, let's first talk about this is the second, this here was the second time they ran it there. Um, the, the ratings for it, um, was certainly a positive, um, with, I believe over 4 million viewers, um, tuning in for it. Uh, so, you know, certainly a pretty big ratings increase, uh, year over year. Um, and, you know, also, you know, some lessons being learned from 2021 into this year, um, and also with maybe a little bit of an assist from mother nature, maybe a little bit too much at times, um, the, uh, the track being kept wet enough in order to keep the dust down, um, and, uh, you know, eliminating that, uh, from, uh, uh, any, there being any issue this time around. So, but with that said, um, you know, there was, there was some, some questions raised and, you know, some opinions given by different drivers about whether or not this was a thing that, should continue. Um, you know, the, the gentleman that ended up winning the race, Kyle Busch, um, at one point said, um, 
running the dirt race or running a dirt race in the cup series actually sets the sport backwards. Um, so there's certainly different uh, points of view on, on all different sides. Kyle Larson, among others, said you can run a dirt race um, with this series and with this car. You may need to make some changes to it in order to um, you know, make the car you know, better on dirt or safer under whatever the case. Um, but there is that, that point of view too. So, um, and then also obviously this uh, race weekend being run on Easter weekend too, um, which is um, something that hasn't been done in I believe over 20 years or 25 years. So that was certainly notable too. So David, there it all is, let's jump into it. Should Bristol run a dirt race and in the spring? So I, I've got to say first, I don't, I, I was thinking about it now, grand their viewership and, and they announced, yes, they're going to run it next year in the spring. Um, two things here. One, if you do it, um, don't do it on Easter weekend. I think that ended up being grand. You had 4 million viewers. Well, you know, yeah, but people are spending time with family um it did hit um you know john chris posted he was there um and he had some comedic sayings going on about it so he kind of poked fun at nascar a little bit on social media about it um but it was um you know i i, I think that's one of the no-nos you, you don't do is you race on Easter weekend. Uh, NASCAR, you know, used to never race on Mother's Day either. They used to race either the day before or that was an off weekend. So I, I think that's a no-no. Um, I think they, they, they need to keep Easter Sunday as a off weekend. Um, but my thought is I, I would like this to see be a playoff race in NASCAR. Um, you know, they, they promoted the heck out saying, Hey, you, we all know what happens at a night race at Bristol. I'd like to see it as a playoff race. Now that Bristol's in September um, and as part of the playoffs, uh, I think that would be really interesting to do a dirt race in Bristol in September. In the playoffs, they could still run the Outlaws. They could still run the, you know, they could have the few weeks of dirt. I think that would be amazing to see a, a good old-fashioned Saturday night dirt race at Bristol during the playoffs. Um so my thought is, should they have it for the spring? Next year, fine, you've already decided it. But I think the year after, they need to explore the opportunity of putting it to the playoffs. David, I completely agree with, um, with your point of view. And I'll offer some, uh, some additional context to it. Um, you talked about the, the, the need from a tradition standpoint to move the race weekend off of Easter weekend and make this, uh, make 
Easter weekend, the Easter Bunny 500 again, so saith Jayski. Um, and this is, um, I agree with you, I think this is a necessary thing, not only from a tradition standpoint, um, but also from um, a standpoint of these teams need a break. This schedule this year is the most grueling that I can ever recall in my nearly 30 years of following the sport. You have 38 race weekends with two off weekends and only one of those being in the middle of the, you know, the, the 36 points paying races. Um, not only from a um, logistical certainty standpoint, is that a problem? You know, God forbid you have a black swan event of some kind where you have to move a race weekend completely to another week. Um, you are uh, greatly uh, causing yourself problems um, it, with reserving every single race weekend or every single weekend for a race somewhere. There's I'm, that. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw something right there. Go back to our bonus episode. Look what I look at what the NFL did when they pushed Daytona back because the NFL threw an extra week in there. Mm-hmm. What the, I mean, there's the issue. There, there it lies right there that it's so condensed right now. Yeah, I, right there, there's your answer right there. Um, continue. Well, well, there is, but then there's also another thing that um, the sport experimented with during the pandemic in 20 and 21. And that was the concept of running a, a doubleheader weekend. Um, you know, it was done at, um, it was done at Pocono. I think it may have been done a couple other, I think Dover was another one. Um, I think that the, the sport demonstrated they can do it. They can do it well. Um, and I think you can um, get good ratings, get good solid ratings and get good attendance um, for these events. Um, and But they um, backed off of that. This they year. did. And I think they need to go back to that. I think they need to add some double header weekends in there in order to be able to carve out some, uh, some so, off weekends back into the sport Easter weekend being one of them. So where do, so where would you, if you were in charge of scheduling, we, we both agree that, you know, get Bristol off Easter weekend, get the dirt race. Um, I, I'm not sure what your thought would be if it, you know, what would you like to see it as a playoff race? I think that would be cool. Um, I, you know, you know, wonder what your thoughts would be on that. But here's, here's what I'm going to say right now on that. If you were to do that, what track would you make a double header? I would say, um, you know, if I'm looking at the cup schedule right now, and I'm going to take a look at this, but tell me really quick, Elliot, would you make the dirt race a playoff race? I wouldn't, at least not right now. The reason being is because um, this race is still so new. The concept of running a dirt race is still so new in, um, in, in the cup series that, um, you know, there's, they're still kind of working the kinks out and that was, you know, no more apparent than, um, how they were treating 
the order of the field um, during stage breaks, and in particular between stage two and stage three, when they had a rain shower come in, and even though Chase Briscoe and others had made a pit stop, they were still at the front of the field um, when the, they were stopped under red flag during the stage break until the rain passed. Um, and there was considerable confusion about that because apparently um, they may have done uh, um, the order at a different stage in the stage break um, earlier in the race. And so there were some questions about that by pretty much everybody. So things like that need to get themselves worked out first. Um, with that said, I think that you can make a reasonable case for this race being moved to one of the last, if not the last, regular season races prior to the playoffs. Uh, certainly Daytona is, is um, you know, presents itself as a wild card race uh, to round out the regular season. After what we saw um, here the other weekend at Bristol, I think you could make it. You could make that same argument. Um, yeah, and it would certainly add a different level of intrigue um, heading into that weekend. Where right now, you know, you have you know, it's the the season is several races old, but you have drivers, you know, treating it as, well, if I do well, you know, great. If not, well, I'm not the greatest dirt racer in the world anyway. I don't know the first thing about it. Joey Logano was a, a great example of that. He's like, listen, I'm going to school um, learning how to drive dirt. And, you know, that I was able to come out third, that's a great day for me, you know, also yeah. considering he won it last year too. But, um, you know, drivers like that, you know, we're, we're kind of offering that point of view. Now, if you move that to, very late in the regular season and there's a lot more on the line at that point um you know where the ramifications of winning a race are that much more apparent um you know to make or break um driver's season then yeah i think it'll it'll uh you know take it to a completely different level so i completely agree with you that moving it to later on in the year is, is a good move to yeah the playoffs and, probably not yet and, and looking at the schedule right now i mean you know there, there's not too many tracks where they're running twice a year. Maybe Atlanta, um, you know, maybe you condense Atlanta in and and say, hey, we'll, we'll run a double header at Atlanta. Um, you know, maybe there. I mean, we don't know how what the schedule is going to shake out next year to be like, but they're off Father's Day. There, there's an, but they're racing on Mother's Day. Now, I, I, I know Darlington started to become synonymous of, of racing on Mother's Day weekend, which is fine. You know, I, I, I think that was, um, you know, I think that was a really good move for them and keeping it there has been good. But there you go. You could have put Easter in and you could have ran Nashville on Father's Day weekend. You could, I mean, I grant you're given the switch for the radio, you know, for the changes over for the TV, but you could have did there. You could have slotted Bristol in there and say, hey, we're going to run it in June or we're going to push everything a week back and we're going to run, you know, Sonoma there. Yeah, I, I, I think NASCAR needs to take a page from the NFL on, on scheduling, 
but yeah, I I think it, it'll be very interesting to see what comes out of it and and how it's going to change, you know, down the road and, and affect scheduling next year. I mean, considering that Pocono's down to one race, um, I think Dover's down to one race. Yeah, there's a lot of events or a lot of racetracks because, down to one race. Now. Yeah, there's a lot of them down to one race. And in addition to it, um, next year, because Dover got sold to SMI, PRN is now taking over the broadcasting next year for Dover, for mm-hmm. the radio side. So, I mean, there's there's just going to be things that they're going to, um, you know, I think next year they're going to have to balance out what is going to happen. Um, and, um, and, you know, this may be talking in a future episode probably the next one we'll, we'll, we'll get in, we'll dive into this is about North Wilkesboro coming back. Um, mm-hmm. Not necessary for cup, but truck and expandy, maybe weekly racing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's good. It, you know, it, it'll be interesting this year to see, you know, when, when they come out in what August with the schedule to see what happens for next year. Um, but I mean, I, I think we're in consensus that Easter weekend needs to stay an off weekend. Yep. Um, um, here's a thought for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so Phoenix Raceway has two race weekends on the, on the calendar this year. Um, and it rounds out the, uh, um, the finale of the three race West coast swing that typically occurs at the start of the the season, just after Daytona. One thought is you eliminate that Phoenix race and you make either Fontana or Las Vegas a doubleheader weekend. And so you're reducing the West Coast swing by one weekend. Uh, Maybe you move um, uh, Atlanta a little bit earlier. And, you know, that might be debatable there, but, um, you know, or maybe even something like um, uh, Circuit of the Americas, maybe you move that um, back to uh, to mid-March. Um, you know, it can still get a little chilly and it's still a little stormy in Texas that time of year, but, um, you know, it, it could be done. Um, another thought is... Um, well, I, how about, I mean, you, you're talking about that and, you know, we, we're, you know, th- this is all good, good topics here. Um, is you're talking about, you know, Phoenix, you know, Phoenix is the championship season. So, I mean, and I think Phoenix has that draw. Um, who says you can't, you know, you, you got this West Coast swing early in the year, you know, and you go all club Vegas Phoenix, you know, what's the, what is, you know, and I think the West Coast swing swing helps out, but I, you want to put double headers in, 
maybe move, you know, they, it does look like they go to Kansas a couple times. Why not double header off Kansas? Why not, you know, double header there or double header Texas or, um, you know, you know, I'd like to see a double header on a road course. Yeah, they can definitely do it. I mean, um, you know, certainly what, what we Watkins Glen yeah. on the boot one day, kick the boot out the next day. That's true. Um, and another thought too is maybe you kind of rotate off. Uh, you kind of have a rotating cast of um, specific types of racetracks. So maybe one year you do a doubleheader at Circuit of the Americas. Another year you do a doubleheader at Watkins Glen. Another year you do a doubleheader at the Indianapolis road course, right? Mm-hmm. And in so doing, um, you know, one of those tracks, you know, comes off the schedule that year. So, yeah. you know, you do a doubleheader at, at Indy, Watkins Glen comes off. You do a doubleheader at Coda, Indy comes off. Um, you know, something like that. There is that thought as well. Or, um, or, you, or you replace an oval with a doubleheader on a road course. You know, you, you double header, let's say you double header the Roval. Well, mm-hmm. okay, so the Roval's there. Well, maybe we say, okay, uh, sorry, Las Vegas, but we're gonna we're gonna take one of your races, we're gonna take your race um for you know, you know, we're gonna have the round of 12 they're at the Roval and then the next day we're kicking off the round of eight. So you decide the round of 12 there. We're going to start the round out eight here. Sorry, Vegas, but I apologize. Your track's off the schedule for, you know, you're down to one race. That's SMI. So you then maybe want to get into who's owning the tracks and say, okay, we're going to give you a double header here, but we're going to take it from one year of the tracks that has a two race. So that may be very interesting. And Elliot, I, I will say, I think we, we've got a lot of discussion. I know we're, we're getting near the end of the show, but we've got a lot of ideas we could kick out here and do a yeah, whole definitely. new episode. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, you know, to put a, a, a period on the thought about, having a dirt race at Bristol instead of, um, you know, another natural dirt track like a Knoxville, like an Eldora, um, you know, because Bristol is Bristol, you know, like Junior said, it's Bristol, baby. So, you know, the idea of, of putting dirt on that and having a dirt race there at a track with so much history, just as is, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, as, as somebody that's, follow the sport as long as I have. I have questions about that. I, I, I just, you know, I, I question whether or not that's, that's, um, you know, kind of a, a, a gimmicky approach to a Bristol race weekend. And indeed, when you look at the, the uh, number of people that showed up for the race weekend, like, you know, the, the grandstands, it wasn't sold out. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the day, it was sold out and it was, you know, done by, you know, a single groove, um, you know, using the chrome horn, chrome horn using people up, um, and, you know, what, what came out of that. So while the, the, the concept is there, and, and yeah, that's, it's all good and well, 
I question whether or not, um, and maybe we take the, this is where we have, uh, take the all-star race and we experiment with this. You know, that, that's, that's what this, um, this race weekend is, you know, it's, it's a whole lot of experimentation and we've seen that in recent years. Um, so maybe instead of Texas, we take that and make amends with Tony Stewart and go to Eldora or we go to Knoxville, um, or we even go to DeCoin, um, yeah. and experiment with a dirt race at one of those places and see what happens. Yeah. Most certainly. And leave Bristol alone. Oh, yeah. So that's our thoughts on whether or not to run a, a dirt race at Bristol in the spring going forward. Um, now we're going to jump to our final thoughts for this episode. Um, and Dave, we'll go ahead and start with you. Well, I want to just say that, you know, I think we're, you know, you know, personally, we're trying some new things. Um, you know, you know, racing season, you know, you know, in, in racing, you experiment quite a bit. And, and that happens with, with pie, you know, with, with shows and that. And, you know, we're changing for some new things. We still get great viewership or, or listenership. Um, we are you know, in the works of maybe, um, you know, we will still be associated with podcast.com as uploading, but we may be taking that to a, a different way how we do things. So, um, you know, I'm you know, excited for some changes coming out. Uh, hopefully we're, you know, we're, we're still trying to work on some, some guests to have. So, maybe our green segments become a guest segment a little bit, you know, we, we're going to change some, some things up here and, and we really hope you guys enjoy it. And we're still going to talk about the great racing, but maybe dive into some topics that, you know, we, we usually didn't have time for in other episodes. And we thank you for listening. Elliot. Yeah. Yeah, those are all great points, Dave, and I echo all of them. Uh, and you know, I'm reminded you and I are both um, both fans of uh, the great band Rush, uh, the three piece out of uh, Toronto, Canada. And uh, you know, they experimented with things considerably, greatly over the course of their career. Um, you know, different styles of music and uh, different approaches to um, to making records and um, instrumentation and so on and so forth. And so. Um, that's, that's kind of what we're going to do too. And, you know, hopefully the, the end product is, um, something that, um, you all as, as our listeners, um, uh, enjoy, um, or at the very least will tolerate as we, you know, figure out what makes this show better. Um, and we'll make, you know, our next episode better than this one. Um, but I do want to have a, offer a final thought, um, about the upcoming throwback weekend at Darlington. And if one of our listeners happens to be somebody in the industry or somebody with a little bit of pull, um, and I can plant a seed, um, then great. Um, so as we know, throwback weekend is coming up and, and it's a great thing for the sport. Uh, it's a great thing for, you know, our, uh, the, the teams and drivers of today to pay homage and tribute to 
drivers, teams, and paint schemes that inspired them in years and decades past. I think it's a terrific thing. Um, you know, some of the schemes that have just come out here recently. Harrison Burton is throwing back to his dad's 2000 Exide scheme at Roush. Very nice. Um, one of my hometown guys, Ryan Priest, is uh, throwing back to one of the all-time Featherlight Modified greats, the Reg, Reggie Ruggiero. Also very cool. Bubba Wallace, I believe, is throwing back to Bill Elliott's iconic 1996 McDonald's paint scheme. I, when I think that's Kirk Bush. Kirk Bush. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but um, either way, very cool. But um, one thing that I've noticed um, is, you know, it seems like the general uh, time period of throwback weekend last year in this is the 90s and early 2000s. Um, and there's one driver for all of the contributions he made to the sport during this time that I feel like is really being overlooked. Um, and there's probably some, some reasons for that. Either way, that driver's name is Jeremy Mayfield. And, you know, I've, I think, touched on occasionally, I, um, I am an unabashed Jeremy Mayfield fan. I've been for 25 years. Um, and I think that name is still, even in today's day and age, uh, uh, still a loaded term in the sport. I feel like uh, Jeremy is kind of the Bruno of NASCAR. Nobody wants to talk about him. And that's a shame. I feel like it's um, it's unnecessary. And I've said this before um, as well, that I feel like um, you know certain official narrative of him is not accurate in any way, shape, or form. And I hope it's corrected and soon. But uh, regardless about how anybody feels about him, nobody can deny that he ran some of the most iconic paint schemes in, in the series, um, uh, you know, in that period of time being his heyday in the sport uh, from his days at, uh, at Kale Yarborough through Kranifus Haas and Nepenske into Ray Evernham's team. Um, you know, you can't deny that some of those, those paint schemes, like I cannot recall to me a more iconic mobile one paint scheme to a name, a sponsor name, um, before or since than the one that he ran in his first years at Penske in 98 and 99. Um, you know, 2000 was nice. 2001 was nice too. But I think to me, the benchmark is what he ran in, in 98 and 99. And I don't think it's been matched since. So my hope is, my final thought is that um, I hope one of the paint schemes that he ran um, gets a chance to see the light of day in throwback weekend in Darlington again. It would be very cool. That that would be awesome. And I know um I know there's definitely quite a bit of the, you know, and the other thing I've noticed is that there's not a lot of drivers who've released paint schemes. Um, you know, touch on that, Elliot. I hope a lot of drivers do partake in that. Um, I will say one of the paint schemes that I truly love and in probably the name went, you know, wayside for the longest time. And I think Corey LaJoy did it right was Marty Robbins. Mm-hmm. Um, that iconic paint scheme is coming back. Um, that pink and yellow that, you know, um, you know, it, so, I mean, I think it would be, yeah, there's paint schemes there that need to be out there. Yep. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, yeah, yep. there, there's paint schemes that need to come back. 
Yeah, another one too that comes to mind too. What about Tyler? If uh, Tyler Reddick were to throw back to uh, Jim Champagne's famous cue ball number eight um, from uh, from Oswego, I think that would be pretty cool too. I would rather see Priest do that. <laughs> that is true. I, I I think Priest would have been cool to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, not actually. If you want to go modified. And in, in the, the paint scheme you got to do, I mean, that that's super modified. And, and Champagne was more super modified. Um, I would be honest, I would love to see that paint scheme on an Indy car. Yeah, that would be. I, I, hey, Roger, if you're listening, the Indy 500 needs to go throwback paint schemes. That could you, be the 33rd entry right there, you, right? Yeah, you, you, you do the oh yeah, you 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 already do it with Scott McLaughlin. Come on, throw back, throw back to the paint schemes. I want to see that red AJ Foyt car out there. Yeah, you know, we can only I, hope. Yeah, we can only hope. <laughs> so with that said, Elliot, it's been a great episode. We thank you for our listenership and continue to listen to us. We, we do see that, you know, we, we do get the lessons. Um, so we, we know we're reaching out to people. So, you know, promote us, throw us out, you know, throw, you know, throw it out there. I know some, you know, we, you know, these episodes sometimes do go longer because we cover a lot, but hey, it's great content. And you know what? This is two lifelong race fans here that talk about racing and know what the, and, and pay attention to the sport. So, you know, if you're, you're, if you're, you know, if you know people who, who listen to like other, you know, other news, you know, for sources for their motor racing and all that, come get the source from, come listen to what fans have to talk about. You know, that's what we reach out to is other fans here. So, you know, and if you got a guest, throw it out there. We'd love to have a guest on our show. For sure. I'm David Moy. This is From Trekker to Green. And I'm Elliot Tardif. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode. This is From Trekker to Green.